Welcome to China in Context, the weekly podcast from the SOAS China Institute in London. I'm Zuri Lenetsky, a research fellow at the Eurasia Group Foundation in Washington, D.C. Many people in China have fun at Shanghai Disneyland. Some visitors arrive wearing baseball caps bearing the names of famous American sports teams like the Chicago Bulls or my favorite Miami Heat. They may even stop for dinner at KFC on their way home. American brands are a part of everyday Chinese life. The cultural influence of American goods and brands are fundamental to American soft power. Soft power is a tool of international affairs as important, but distinct from military capability, what is otherwise known as hard power. Like the U.S., China uses both hard and soft power to achieve its foreign policy objectives. I'm pleased to welcome a guest who's ideally placed to help us consider this issue, Professor Steve Tsang, the director of the SOAS China Institute. Steve, thanks so much for accepting our request to take on this important topic. Great pleasure. Soft power covers a lot of areas. Can you start by suggesting how it can be defined for China and the United States? Soft power is a concept developed by an American political scientist, Joseph Nye, and it is basically the power of attraction. It is what you are and what you do that get people pay you attention, respect you, admire you, and follow you. Now, the Chinese government loves soft power. They craze for it. They love it so much that they have a policy to project soft power, to make China attractive to the rest of the world. But because they are trying so hard to project it, they are often having a counterproductive result. Instead of making China attractive, they sometimes come across as being a bit pushy, perhaps even bullying, and often it is being described more perhaps perceptively as sharp power rather than soft power. So would you say that there is some form of a cultural competition around ideas of soft power between the United States and China? It is very easy to look at it as a kind of cultural competition. The Chinese government certainly likes to uh, project it as a cultural matter because Xi Jinping believes that the traditional Chinese culture was superior and therefore going back to it could project Chinese soft power. But in reality, a better way to project the conception and the competition of China and the United States beyond the traditional hard power is to use the framing of a beauty contest. It is how you present yourself, both your inner beauty and your external attractiveness to make you truly attractive to the others. It is by what you do, what you are. And here, the United States as a democracy that respects human rights, supports individuals to have their capacities to maximize their potential, 
can make United States much more attractive than the very controlling top-down approach that China under Xi Jinping tries to do. So with regards to the difference between hard power and soft power, should we think of soft power as the opposite of building a powerful military? You talk about this in terms of a beauty contest. So if the powerful military is external, uh, soft power is internal, or have I misunderstood the analogy? Well, I will not see hard power and soft power as in competition or in contradiction. I will see them more as two uh, sets of powers that can be complementary to each other, but they don't necessarily require each other to exist. Countries can have huge amount of soft power without an enormous amount of military power. The Scandinavian countries would be one example of that. But if you also have huge amount of hard power and use that hard power smartly, you can substantially increase your soft power. Now, one example would be that during the um, Asian tsunami of 15 or so years ago, the single biggest international aid agency delivering assistance to people in Asia suffering from the traumatic tsunami was not any of your aid agencies, but the United States Navy. So in thinking more about Chinese perspectives on soft power, you, you note that China has developed a policy on soft power. My question then is, is China making more of an effort to develop soft power now than at previous points in its history? Well, China does have a very long history. And in that 4,000 years of history, there were huge amount of variations. When the Chinese empire was very, very strong in some of the dynasties when it was enormously powerful, arguably China in those periods like the Han dynasty or the Tang dynasty enjoy a lot of influence beyond China itself. What is not clear is whether those inference that China enjoys was based on the modern concept of soft power, even though that concept did not yet exist, or whether it was in fact based mostly on hard power and the articulation of that hard power to become a power of influence. I think there was probably both elements of that. Huge amount of the influence China exercised at the height of its imperial power beyond its borders was based on its hard power. But China also had a system of government, administration, even of justice in the pre-modern era that was the envy of many different parts of the world. And there, therefore, there were countries surrounding China which proactively tried to learn from the Chinese experience and copy the Chinese model, not necessarily simply because they were forced 
by the power of the Chinese imperial state to do so. So in that sense, there were times when China did enjoy soft power. And how does that compare with Xi Jinping's China? Now, Xi Jinping likes to say that China has never ever committed imperialism of any sort, which is of course, historically totally inaccurate. But the kind of narrative that Xi Jinping uses really shows that at every stage of him seeking to build up Chinese soft power, he is focusing only on sharp power. And in so doing, actually undermines the capacity of China to project soft power. China today is not China 30, 40 years ago. You go back 30, 40 years, there really wasn't very much that came out of China that the rest of the world found, noticed, and genuinely admires. But if you go back to China in the last five, six, 10 years, you can find uh, companies that would be genuinely admired globally. You would have uh, individuals of Chinese origins who would genuinely be respected and admired. So China today has the scope of soft power, but its actual capacity to enjoy soft powers is undermined by the huge effort the party state put into projecting that soft power, which turns soft power into something very sharp and therefore less welcoming to the rest of the world. To the extent that China's soft power is an attractive force, are there parts of the world where China is more effective at using its soft power than in other parts of the world? So for example, in the global south or in Asia, are there, are there certain countries that China really seeks to attract through its soft power? I think you are absolutely right in your uh, working assumption that China does enjoy huge amount of capacity to influence and attract countries in different parts of the world. You will notice that I'm being very careful here in not using the word soft power, because what the Chinese government is dedicated to do in its foreign policy is to make the world safe for autocracies. Now, if you happen to be the ruler of a less wealthy country in need of development, and you also happen to be an autocrat, you will find the Chinese model incredibly attractive because the Chinese foreign policy here consists of making sure that you, as an autocrat of a less developed country, has the right to choose your pathway of development and you have the right to stay as, a, as an autocrat. And China, through its Bell and Road Initiative, will offer you development assistance of some sort that will enable you to build infrastructures that you cannot secure through the more conventional, traditional 
global international funding institutions like the World Bank or the uh, African Development Bank or the Asian Development Bank? Perhaps then the ultimate question is, what are the benefits to China, the net gains as a result of its investments in influence, in this kind of unique form of soft power? What is the return on the investment for example, on something like the Belt and Road Initiative. And what I'm asking is specifically is, does China see benefits in United Nations voting or support at meetings like the G20? Um, by having spending over two years studying the political thought of Xi Jinping, what I have found is that Xi Jinping has a enormous global ambition. His ambition is not to replace the United States of America as the top dog in the current world order. His intention is to change the way how the international order operates into something that is closer to what he would have called and others would also call the traditional Chinese conception of Ten Sha, or under heaven. In that Xi Jinping rendition of the conception of Ten Sha, China was and is the most magnificent civilization, the best governed model for which the rest of the world will want to support. And he will want to change people globally to accept and embrace that kind of conceptualization by working through the existing international organizations and system, particularly the United Nations. And he would like to do that, not by relying on the veto China enjoys as one of the permanent five in the, at the Security Council. He would work at the General Assembly to gather enough countries, member states of the United Nations to support China to change the agenda and the way how the institution works. Thank you so much, Steve, for explaining China's view of soft power to us. This has been a riveting discussion. That was Professor Steve Tsang, director of the SOAS China Institute. This podcast is a co-production of the Eurasia Group Foundation and the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. And you can find out more about the Institute's courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team. <laughs>